Hold on. Awake. I, I gotta snap, slap myself in the face. Hold on. Ew. All right, we're Ew. here. I'm here. That's how I wake myself up. You got energy? You know, I do now, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Prove it. Prove Hello. you got energy. Hello. That wasn't energy. Prove you got energy. <laughs> high, ah. en high energy. You're awake. Ah. Alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. As always, I'm Megan. I am Jason. And I just hit myself in the face for energy. As per usual, Woo. <laughs> as per usual with the episodes I research, we're ending Women's History Month on a high note. So it's going to be depressing. No. <laughs> well, sort of. Okay, well, it depends on how you take it. What does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean? So women have officially had the right to vote for 100 years now? Yay. I mean, it's a start, but it should have been sooner. We gained our... Adult, ad, look, I... I I'm with you, my man, but um, America was not. Okay, so we gained our right to vote, and when I say we, obviously here I mean white women. Women of color had a tougher time getting their right to vote. Mm -hmm. um, we got our right to vote in uh, 1920. It's 2020 now. New century, new pandemic. And that... The women getting the right to vote, love to see it. The new pandemic and the new century... Don't love to see Don't it. Don't love to see that at all. So I thought I would talk about um, a lesser known event of the suffrage movement for our last episode this month, uh, the Night of Terror. Yay. It is something that's not depressing. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. End the month on a high note. Well, it's on brand for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get into this high note then. So first we have to start with a brief history of women's suffrage. So for a majority of history, there was one big player in the American women's suffrage movement called the National American Women's Suffrage Association, or NASA. Not NASA. NASA with a W. Yeah. So it's like NASA, but with a W in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the younger members of this organization didn't feel like the group was doing quite enough to ensure that their vote was being secured. So in 1913, the younger members, led by Alice Paul and Lucy Burns, decided to do bolder things. For example, they set up a suffrage parade that was held in Washington, D.C. on March 3rd of 1913, nice. which was a single day before Woodrow Wilson's inauguration as president. Get dunked on. Get dunked on, Wilson. Now, as you can imagine, that didn't sit well with the soon-to-be president and his supporters. Uh, people attacked these women as they made their march down Pennsylvania Avenue, and the police did absolutely nothing. Thank you, cops, for standing up for people as you can see beliefs. they've been doing that since their creation thanks Oof. cops for trying <laughs> i don't even know thanks for existing you've done you've done they chased julie julie that was something cool that cops did you've done you've done <laughs> you've done so the the cops actually they just stood there and watched until they were ordered to quote restore order whatever that means mm. So the event led to over 100 women being hospitalized for their injuries. It wasn't just like a slap on the wrist, like, hey, go home into the kitchen. It was like it was a like brutalization. On, it was a full-on attack. Yeah. And cops did nothing about it. Yeah. Great. Yeah, no one really wanted women to have the right to vote. Doing, doing, we're doing. We're doing good things. Now, now we're doing good things. <laughs> then the general public was doing, and it was only a select people who were doing good things. You can say that again. It was only a select people doing good things. Okay, can we move on to the next line? <laughs> yeah. So from this event came a split in uh, NASA. NASA. Paul and Burns 
they ended up forming the Congressional Union of Women's Suffrage, which was later named and now known as the National Women's Party. A lot easier. A lot easier. <laughs> this party followed in the footsteps of, we literally searched this up, but I already forgot what it, how to pronounce it. Emmeline? Emmeline Pankhurst's militant movement in England with uh, some changes because Alice Paul was Quaker, so instead of violence, she used civil disobedience. Yeah, it's important to know that the women in England have been fighting for the right to vote before uh, yeah. women in the United States, and we kind of followed their movement. Yeah. So now these two groups existed and used their own methods in picketing, marching, writing letters to senators, but in their own path. So they didn't necessarily work with each other. But they're working towards the same but they're general working toward the goal. Same goal. Good. So it's just important to know who Alice Paul is because she becomes a big player and influence later on. Now, if you want to watch a good movie on her, there's one called Iron Jawed Angels. It talks about the women's suffrage movement and Alice Paul. Anyway, let's flash forward to 1916. So in 1916, why does that sound familiar? That's, uh, we just about entered World War One at that point, right? Yeah, we were on the cusp of World War One at that point. Got it. Um, now, World War One, I'm going to touch on for a bit, was a big positive for the movement, but also kind of a negative. Mm. See, women began to work in factories and helped for the war efforts while the men went off and fought. Okay. Yet still, they were denied over and over again their right to vote. So in January of 1917, they started this campaign, the National Women's Party, where they would stand outside the White House every day. And this was at the start of the second term for Woodrow Wilson in rain, snow, hail or shine any day all day they'd stand out there wore uniforms and sashes that read quote mr president how long must we wait for liberty so this started in january of 1917 yeah but the actual night of terror didn't happen until almost like uh almost a year later pretty much at the end of the year in november 1917 correct so that's 10 months that they were standing outside the white house every single day holding signs wearing sashes and chanting How did Wilson take it? Well, as you can imagine, any president would. Just kidding. Wilson was a key player here, though, and at first he did tolerate what was going on. I mean, they were protected under the Bill of Rights with their right to protest. They were protected? Sort of. Sort of. Um, Well, well, actually, Wilson... That clearly didn't matter, considering the Night of Terror happened. Jason, don't spoil... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Woodrow Wilson actually invited the women inside for coffee one time. I mean, that would be a good chance to talk to him. Did I'm, they did they meet with him? Well, no, because, I mean, would they even listen? Yeah. That's like when Lyndon B. Johnson had Martin Luther King come. Like, he was like, so what's up, Martin Luther King? And he's like, can we have our, our rights? And he was like, ha, you're funny, Martin, but I'll see you next week. Hmm. You know, like, they didn't really listen. It was just like a... So it's like a, hey, we're going to say that we're doing something, but we're not. But appease. nothing's actually going to happen. Exactly. And these people were... It's just were, to appease the public. This appeased them and their movement, but they were mortal enemies, pretty much. I mean, there's probably a more academic term for it, but neither of them liked each other. Yeah. National Women's Party nor Wilson. See, he began to tolerate them much less when the United States officially entered World War One in, in April of 1917. The National Women's Party continued to picket outside the White House while NASA decided to pause and throw their support. <laughs> Did you laugh when I said NASA? No, I just got sniffles now. Oh, I thought it was funny. I was like, yeah. it is funny. NASA is funny, though. Uh, so NASA decided to pause and throw their support behind the war instead. This made the National Women's Party look, in a word, unpatriotic. 
and America loves people who are unpatriotic. I mean, America loved people who are unpatriotic <laughs> because that's just how it goes. We love working together, and even if we're not working together, we can still... It, we can coexist. What are you talking about? People, when, I mean, America hates when people are unpatriotic. They straight up, like, abuse them. Ah, shit, you're right. Wait, hold on. That makes sense. Because uh, the pickets that the National Women's Party did would end up being interrupted by men who would just straight up attack them. Don't fucking do that. And rip signs from their hands. Wilson wrote in a letter to his daughter in June of 1917. This was before the war broke out. Where he said... No, but it was after... This is uh, June. Oh, it happened in April, not August. Sorry. <laughs> this is uh, towards the beginning of the war. And he said in a letter to his daughter uh, that the suffragists, quote, seem bent on making their cause as obnoxious as possible. Of course he'd say that. He had the right to vote. What did he have to worry about? He had, he had nothing all to of lose. his rights given to him by the Constitution. He's disrespectful. It's fine. We're used to it. We're used to it. So... He had a voice in his country. I mean, first of all, he's a president, but also he was a white man who could vote. Not only did he have a voice, he had the voice. He had the voice. It's also important to note here that not all women supported the suffrage movement. Throughout history, there's always been women who rejected this idea of fighting for women's rights. They were women who were perfectly content with where they were in their own lives and were part of the people who would actually rip signs away from women who are doing this picketing. Mm. It's also very important to note here that the National Women's Party was white women. Let me break off into a tangent for a minute. Okay. See, from the beginning, there were women of color fighting for their rights, of course, but their victories and efforts were not as immortalized as women like Alice Paul. Yeah. Places like NASA um, prevented black women from attending their conventions in general. Black yeah. women also had to march separately from white women in suffrage parades. Actually, Ida B. Wells, she is one of the very famous suffragettes, she rejected this idea of having to march in the back in mm -hmm. the, the 1913 when we talked about the parade. Yeah. And she actually marched in the front. She broke away and did what she wanted to do because her voice is just as important as the white women's voice. Mad props. Mad props. She was great. Um, and in the 1880s, when Elizabeth Caden Stanton and Susan B. Anthony wrote their history of women's suffrage, they featured white suffragettes and largely ignored the contributions of women of color. And while they are pushed aside in part of history, they're still incredibly important to securing the 19th Amendment and the right to vote. Yep. Now, since they were largely ignored, they created these things called clubs and also organizations that focused on issues that affected them. These groups included the National Association of Colored Women in 1896, the Alpha Suffrage Club of Chicago, which was founded by Ida B. Wells, and also co-founded with W.E.B. Du Bois, the NAACP. Who helped found the NAACP? Ida B. Wells, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Mary White Ovington. So two-thirds of the founders of the NAACP were women. Women of color. And they're still overlooked. Yeah. And the NAACP is still a force to be reckoned with today. Hell a yeah. A great organization. Founded by women of color. I wonder how many people knew that. I didn't until I started researching women's suffrage people. Yeah. So while that was a tangent, it was important. These are several women who are forces to be reckoned with. And there's more of them. And without them and their contributions, women would not have the rights that they have today. Which is fucked. In general, 
How is it that only 100 years ago, people determined you weren't important enough to vote and have a say in what happened in the country? Because people thought that we were lesser as women. It's fucked, but it's history. And unfortunately, it's history that we haven't learned from. I mean, I go out into the streets and you go out into the streets and we have two completely different reactions. reactions. People react to me differently than you. Yeah. People would see me and they're either going to be like intimidated because I'm tall or they're going to like kind of respect me when I'm walking down the road because like I take up space and I'm a man. It's like, oh, he's a man. We're going to give him a little bit more room. We're going to see him as just some other person and a stranger. We're going to leave him alone. Yeah, I walk down the streets in New York City and either get catcalled or people like bump into me on purpose. Like men won't won't move away from oh, me. You're a I'm woman, expected you're to smaller, move away you're from them. To move. It's, it's annoying. It's, it's stupid. I, I don't quite feel safe anywhere, and I feel like you feel safe places. I'm paranoid, so <laughs> not really, but I do get exactly what you're saying. So we haven't really learned. And the suffragette movement just turned into what we now know as the feminist movement, and each get their own pushback. I mean, there are women today who don't like feminists and don't think that feminism is a good thing, when it's exactly the same as suffragette is fighting for women's rights. Mm -hmm. So now, after my tangent, back to the Night of Terror. June 1970. The police started arresting the suffragettes for small things, like obstructing traffic. In the beginning, they would release the women without penalty, but that changed really quickly, and uh, they ended up getting time in prison soon after. They thought that this would stop the protests, but women kept showing up. They not only showed up, but they stepped it up. In August of 1917, they were rolling out banners that read, Kaiser Wilson. Oof. Get oofed on, you dirty goblin. <laughs> if anyone's a dirty goblin, it's Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson. Wilson. Can we cancel him? Fuck it, let's do it. Woodrow Wilson, you're officially canceled by Fast Past. Canceled. Canceled. So, calling him Kaiser Wilson went about as well as you can imagine. The unveiling of the banner led to three days of attacks by angry mobs and police who sentenced six women to 60 days in prison. In prison. Prison. And 60 days. 60, which was the Two longest Two full sentence. months. That was the longest sentence at this time. For protesting, which Peacefully. you are legally allowed to do. I'm telling you, when America doesn't want something to happen, it'll find all of the strings to pull so that it they'll, ensures they'll cover it does it up. not. Yeah, they'll make it work. They'll make it work. Now, during this time, Alice Paul stayed off the picket lines because they knew that she was the ringleader. So much so that when she returned to the pickets in October, she was arrested immediately and given seven months at Ocoquan Workhouse. Ocoquan Workhouse? Yeah. So that was a jail outside of D.C. So it wasn't mm. in D.C. itself. It was a men's prison at first, but it ended up being the place where they took all the women during the suffrage movement. It was different from a typical prison because it was a workhouse. So it relied on solitary confinement and physical punishment. The people mm. who made Ocoquan thought that rehabilitation happened through hard work and social interaction, so they also worked on farms close by. Interesting. Which is a word for it. It was also known to be very brutal, have horrible conditions, and guards were known to use brutality against the inmates. Interesting. Alice Paul demanded to be treated as a political prisoner because they treated political prisoners better, and she did nothing wrong. So she went on a hunger strike when they refused to give it to her, and they responded by force-feeding her. This is where they would hold her down, shove tubes up her nose or down her throat, and pump raw eggs into her stomach and body. They would usually vomit after the women that hap this happened to. It was painful, and it clearly didn't solve the hunger nor the strike problem. It was just punishment. Wonderful. 
Then came the Night of Terror. And based on what I told you, I think you can see why. So on November 14, 1917, 33 women were brought to Okonkwin. They demanded to be treated as political prisoners because, again, they did nothing wrong. But the prison superintendent, William H. Whitaker, decided him and his guards would use this opportunity to teach these women a lesson. After To teach them a lesson after listening to all of that, this is, it's not going to be good. No. Uh, so the guards burst into the room where the women were waiting to be booked and dragged them down the hall, throwing them into dark, filthy cells. Lucy Burns had her hands shackled to the top of the cell, forcing her to stand all night long. The guards also threatened her with a straitjacket and a buckle gag. Dorothy Day, who is pretty well known, was slammed down on the arm of an iron bench twice. Dora Lewis lost consciousness after having her head slammed into an iron bed. Alice Kosu suffered a heart attack after seeing Lewis's assault and didn't receive medical attention until the following morning. Dudley Field Malone, who was a husband of one of the prisoners, was the one who broke the news of the violence to the press, and two weeks later, these women were released. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. And if you can see, obviously, what they did that first night, imagine what their weeks could have been. This is bullshit. This is, like, the most infuriating thing. Like, out of all the stuff that we've done so far, this is probably the most infuriating thing. We're just lucky that the women wrote things down, and that's how they leaked it, because we wouldn't Mm. know. I mean, the whole point of this was that... No one was supposed to know, and it was supposed to break the spirits of the suffrage movement. Good so, job. Good job, America, for being so shit that you have to literally attack your own people in order to get your way. Yeah. God. Now, two weeks of it. this, and all the women were also on hunger strikes, so there were two weeks of them being force-fed, mm. just like Alice Paul. Quote unquote force fed because it, it didn't actually it didn't. feed they them or give them any up. nutrition. It just forced them to vomit. I've read several different places where they were saying they weren't given like places to defecate, that they were given maggots in their food. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were on a hunger strike in the first place. It was just the most god awful rotten conditions. And they were just like, yeah, that's teaching women a lesson. But there is some bright side to this, I guess. In late November, after pressure from the public, the federal authorities agreed to release Alice Paul. Lucy Burns, and the other 33 prisoners. Hmm. Now, this, as much as it was an awful thing, awful and horrible, was also a pivotal moment for the suffrage movement. So the women continued to picket, but this time they would dress in outfits similar to what they wore in Okonkwin. They toured the country sharing stories of their experience with the world, who found it shocking that middle-class white women were treated so brutally. Not low-class white women, not women of color, but middle-class white women. Mm. That's what shocked them. Uh, And that's what Americans began to sympathize with them after this because they were these middle-class white women that had... If it can happen to them, it can happen to me. Anyone. That's what they thought. So they got support after this and only after this. In early 1918, the D.C. Court of Appeals ruled that women had been illegally arrested, convicted, and imprisoned. Obviously. And after that, Wilson called publicly for Congress to act on the federal suffrage amendment, which history attributes to both sides of the movement, the radical NWP and the NASA's traditional lobbying strategies together. They ended up securing us the vote. I am honestly infuriated by this entire thing. I was going to say, you've been really quiet and letting me just talk. Yeah, because this is like some of the most agitating shit to me because like not only is it being just 
disrespectful, which I'd say a lot now. That's, that seems to be my thing at the moment. Mm. And just being blatantly illegal and thinking you can get away with doing something so blatantly illegal and thinking it's okay and thinking you're doing the right thing in your own eyes, in your own standpoint. It's like, oh, I don't want the women to vote, so I'm just going to bend the rules because I'm the president. Yeah. Which is still bullshit. Yet this is the strategy that America used, has used in every circumstance where they didn't want something to happen. I mean, let's think of of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Anything like that. America was if, not ready for it. If so things they are changing, to... we are literally going to fight back. Which is not Physical the right attitude. violence. Obviously, yeah. it's not the right. And the same thing. Civil disobedience was used in the suffrage movement and was used in the civil rights movement. And luckily, I think because of that, we got the same results. Like, oh my God. If you're just going to keep continuing to escalate a situation and make it more difficult. I'm not saying the women did that. I'm saying Wilson did that. He's just kept escalating the situation to like a next level. It's like, what's so wrong with change? If you don't change, you're literally going to be behind the times. If you don't change, you're going to stagnate and you're going to die. You have to adapt to overcome each situation. Women want to vote. What's so wrong about giving a woman the right to vote? Well, if I can speculate here for a moment, I think they were afraid at one point that we would overpower men or we would bump against men in their power position. I mean, okay. they have held it for years. And isn't it a little terrifying to see that you could be dethroned of that? And I mean, I guess look, to some people, yes. Because look, look today, like I said, I still don't have the same experience as you do. I still yeah. won't get paid at a corporate level the same way you will. Mm -hmm. I still get harassed by my boss and you don't. Yeah. It's, it's, we've come so far and that's why this turned from suffrage to feminist movement, but we still have so far to go because there are still men who perpetuate this idea that women are not equal. Yeah. And, and they don't want that change because they're afraid of it. I mean, what other reason could there be? Change is different and change is scary. Get the fuck over it. On God, get over it. Like, you do a lot of scary things in your life. You face death every single day that you walk out of the house, especially now with the coronavirus and everything. Like, everything is scary. And if you live in fear of everything, all you're going to do is be paranoid and strike out at anything that threatens you or you perceive as threatening. So literally face your fear, acknowledge it, talk to, if you're afraid of someone who is like, if you don't understand someone's experience, you can't like walk a mile in their shoes because you can't do that physically. I can't suddenly become another race. I can't suddenly become another gender and be able to switch back, just walk a mile in their shoes. I can't do that. But if you literally just listen to their experience, if you listen to what they're doing, how they've lived their lives, their experiences, the things that they've had to face, you will understand and hopefully empathize with uh, all the changes and all the things that you don't see from your own perspective. That's why I like doing this podcast with you because we have completely different viewpoints on life. We do. And I wouldn't see things the way that you see things at all. But because I'm hearing your perspective, I get to see the world from a different way. I get to see things in a different light and I really appreciate that. Same with you. So people really need to acknowledge their own weaknesses and just accept the fact that life is scary. It's never not going to be scary. It's going to continually be scary. Just don't strike out at people because you're afraid. Let them in. 
surprisingly enough, they are going to not be as much of a dick as you think they are. Yeah. We still have two paragraphs into this. Uh, don't me to just read them? <sighs> yeah. Because okay. I went on, I went on, a, bit on <laughs> a bit of a rant. So no, you can, it's uh, totally fine. You can round us out. So while this was happening, the... National Women's Party were continuing to protest. Even in early 1919, which is a year after the Night of Terror, burning they were burning Wilson's speeches where he mentioned freedom and democracy because he was being a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Now, more women were arrested during this time, more women went on hunger strikes, and even more were force-fed, yet nothing was quite as dramatic as the Night of Terror. And even though the Night of Terror was a pivotal moment, it was not the end moment of brutality against these women. It took bravery to continue to put their safety on the line for those beliefs. And finally, on August 18, 1920, after Tennessee became the 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment, white women finally got the right to vote. Again, women of color still had to fight for their right for some time because laws were continually passed by states and towns that prohibited them from voting. But eventually we all got there. And again, without the contributions of the women of color and the NASA and the National Women's Party, we would not, I don't know if I'd have the right to vote today. We wouldn't be where we are. And the rest is history. Thank you again for joining us. It's been a wonderful time, I think. <laughs> it's been an educational time. It's this been an educational time. Yeah. It's, we've had some fun. We've had some fun. And we've had a lot of learning. Yes. So thank you for joining us on that. And... Uh, Hope we don't don't spook you off too much. Sorry, I went on a bit of a rant, but uh, I, I was feeling it. You need to express what you feel. Yeah. I think another part of the problem is we really hide everything, we, we bottle either, everything up. We either bottle it up or just bury it somewhere, or we say our feelings don't matter. But your feelings do matter. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who you are. Your feelings matter. You matter. Everyone can make a difference. Like it's the it's the butterfly effect. Yeah. It's like, oh, if I go back in time and make, make one small difference, everything's going to be different when I go back to the future. Yeah. Like, you could uh, be that one small difference. You could be that one small difference. But you feel like you can't make a difference now? If you make that difference now, it could have the ripple effect, the butterfly wings or whatever, mm-hmm. and change the world. But you don't know it yet because you're too afraid to take that step. Because you're afraid of showing weakness, of showing your emotions. So please, don't be afraid. Show your emotion express, feel, and say what you need to say. And if you want to request any future episodes from us, you can email us at fastpasspodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at fastpast1. I made a tweet the other day. Please check it out. What's up? And if you want the sources for this episode to cite us in scholarly papers or just to use the sources for scholarly papers, you can also email us or DM us. Next month is April, and that is my birthday month, so I got to pick all the episodes that we're doing next month, and we have some special guests lined up, so I'm very excited for you guys to join us on that journey, and until then, bye bye